handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 2.28 p.m. Eastern on February 21st in the year of our Lord 2022. And it is a great day, folks, because you're probably listening to this. If you're somebody who listens to this podcast, you're going, J.L. must be on cloud nine. He just made his TV dramatic debut to rave reviews on Showtime's hit show Billions. And he just must be feeling great. It's a day off. It's a federal holiday, so he doesn't have to do legal work today. So he must just be in the greatest of moods. And guys, you wouldn't be here to hear me just talk some pleasant shit. Now we're gonna we're gonna talk about the dirty side of Hollywood, okay? Uh, you know, first off, now when I walk down the street, okay, don't let anybody tell you that there aren't uh, negatives to uh, explosive amounts of fame. You know, now when I walk down the street, I'm going, are the women looking at me because I'm jacked? Uh, because I'm handsome? Because I'm tall, jacked, and handsome? Or is it just the fact that I'm now an actor on a big TV show. So I don't know why women look at me in the street now. And I used to have certainty there and now I just don't have it anymore. And that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy that not knowing why people are attracted to you. It's a tough thing. It's, it's, it's a very uncertain life that I'm not, no, I'm kidding guys. It was one episode. It was two scenes. Thank you to everybody who watched both scenes. Now, what we're going to do on this episode, guys, and first off, we have some huge show news as well. <laughs> Not billions. No, my other shows, folks, my other successful entrees into the entertainment business. Not this, not the one that just happened. That's another success. But I want to talk about my other avenues of potential success. Um, now, we, you, you know I'm being sarcastic, right, listeners? 
You know that that I'm a a giant sleepy looking person whose best uh, looking days are behind him. You know that, right? You know that this is going to be a podcast where I lament stupid fans and uncertainty about my comedy. You know that, right? I hope as you're listening to this, I hope you go, oh my God, I hope he hasn't changed and it's going to be a positive show. No, no, come on guys. But this is going to be a a hilariously negative show. That's, that's my sweet spot. I think the, the, when I turn pain into humor, not when I turn pain into tragedy, which is every other episode of this podcast, but billions aired last night. And, uh, I watched it, uh, at midnight at 1201 AM on Sunday because I could not wait. I was shivering because that's what happens to me, folks. When you are so desperate for your career to break through, and you feel every moment is an existential crisis because it will def- help define what you do for a living for the rest of your life and whether or not you've wasted your entire adulthood. So yes, I was very nervous. And um, because I just did the best I could or what I thought was the best I could. And it was up to the editors and, uh, you know, everything else to just sort of make me seem okay. And it's a big brashy kind of goofy guest role. It's not some deep, it's, it's, this is not Denzel and Francis Dormant McDormand in the tragedy of Macbeth, the, the, what I was doing, but I was giving it my best, uh, my best effort relying on lessons I'd learned in acting classes, etc. But it was just two scenes, pretty big, pretty large. I don't. And, and I think when I went to sleep that night, uh, all I could think was I didn't fuck it up, which is of course sort of the way I approach and which is sad because this should have been obviously the culmination of a, of a great and, and fortunate opportunity that came my way. But instead my feeling was, okay, good. I didn't fuck it up. And that's, that's, you know, that's not necessarily rejoicing, <laughs> but you know, it's better than being like, oh my God, I was terrible. They're going to make fun of me. I suck. Um, the funny, interesting thing is Dave Portnoy, very big social media and an off-media presence of Barstool Sports, retweeted one of my two clips um, because people were telling him that it was like somebody they believed was based on him. Now, I had heard that when I described my character to my uh, my best friend. Uh, he suggested that it reminded him of Portnoy. And I intentionally never watched any Dave Portnoy because I wanted it to be an authentic creation of my own artistic mind. Uh, But truthfully, I didn't want to be impersonating anybody for an original character, even if I, I don't even if it was based on someone, I just wanted it to be me doing my best interpretation of what I felt was, you know, a internet finance bro type character. So it airs. Uh, the response has been nice. Not that I expected it to be bad. It's just a goof, like a fun guest role. It's not really the kind of thing where people will be like, that guy sucked. Um, but uh, it was very interesting to see. Now we're going to turn this into a negative. Are you ready for the magic that is J.L. Covan podcasting? It was amazing and disheartening to see how many people, both fans and in my personal life, either had no idea I was going to be on bill, had no idea I was going to be on billions. And all I could think to myself, because this is who I am and how I think, was I have been wasting my time. I have put billions in my newsletter for the last two months, which is the thing that I always want. And I'm sharing this with the podcast people because you guys are exempt. If you listen to this podcast regularly, then I consider you 
inner circle, circle of trust, Jack Burns, Gaylord Fokker. I consider you circle of trust. You're, you're doing something beyond watching Twitter videos when they pop up in your feed. You're, you're a more engaged fan than that. If you listen to this podcast, this is the cream of the crop. And by cream of the crop, I mean, the five, the, the 790 people I'm relying on to keep my comedy career alive. But the point is, the amount of people who as of Saturday and Sunday had no idea that I was on billions means that they don't listen to either of my podcasts. They might not subscribe to my YouTube because I did post a big thing on my YouTube channel. They definitely don't subscribe to my newsletter, which is the most important thing and the biggest failure in my sort of personal public relations because no one believes it when you say, hey, you might not see my posts for a while. And then they don't see my posts for like six months. And then they just assume that I took a six month sabbatical from social media and go, hey, you're back. And I'm going, I've always been here. You have missed approximately... 914 tweets, videos, blog posts, and show announcements. But thank you for being a diehard fan and not following me anywhere at all, so, except for Twitter. So thank you. And thank you for assuming that I was the boy who cried wolf of dead career when I said, please sign up for my newsletter. Whenever I do a sign up for my newsletter, the tweet gets seen by instead of 80,000 people like they used to be seen, they get seen by about 7,000 people and 13 people sign up. So at that rate, all I have to do is like another f like 13,000 tweets saying sign up for my newsletter. And by then, uh, most people will, will have done so. But it was just weird to see people not knowing that I got a message today. Uh, somebody told me on YouTube, good luck on the show. And I was like, okay, well, we filmed it in August. So thank you. Thank you. I'll be sure when I invent a time machine to go back and wish myself luck in summer 2021. But um, it was just, it, it, I hate to, I can always find the disheartening part, but it was because you're just going, oh God, even when it comes, even when it comes to arguably and maybe not even arguably, this might be the biggest thing I've done just because of how popular and, and viewed the show is. Probably the biggest thing I've ever done, even though, yes, the Easter video may have had more viewers than this episode of Billions. Maybe. But beyond that. And it still didn't just register and it didn't break through the algorithms. It's, it's as good proof as I have, folks. And I know you've heard me say algorithm and Twitter and followers way too much. But it is just... The check is cashed. The check was cashed many months ago. Now it's out there. Now I sit and wait and maybe I'll be back for season seven. It's if, if you watch it, it's certainly a character that could come back in season seven. And it's also a character that could never come back. It could also just disappear and be like a one time goofy uh, guest role. But it is disheartening to be like, wow, so all my efforts to reach fans who've already so so there's a mutual problem both in the so the algorithms and the apathy of the fans I've cultivated where you're like wow even the biggest fucking thing I've ever done just didn't break through at all as a point of interest or a social media algorithm breakthrough which is just you sort of go oh okay so if the platform won't let people see it and the people who do see it don't seem to care as much as I wish they did if they are fans of mine it makes you go, oh, okay, well, good. I'm back in my zone. Thank you for the temporary buzz, billions, but I am back where I belong, which is in despair.
over my entertainment career. But very grateful for the opportunity to be on the show. And as always, um, you know, I think Brian Koppelman and David Levy, and it was Brian Koppelman who who brought it to the show's attention, I believe, because he was a big fan of my Twitter content. And, and trust me, um, I do carve out an exception. If you get me auditions on popular dramas on TV, you don't have to sign up for my newsletter. You have done your part, Brian Koppelman, in getting me on your popular Showtime show. So if you don't want to sign up for my newsletter, you are exempt from that requirement because so anybody out there who's listening if you're not signed up to my newsletter but you can get me on a you know popular network or cable drama or comedy series then you feel free not to sign up for my newsletter okay i i do i it's like the way people will accept crypto i accept sag credits in lieu of uh, subscriptions to my free monthly important newsletter that literally only tells you when I have a special, a TV appearance, live shows. That's it. That's basically the gist of the newsletter. It's this. It's the stuff that people can't miss if they're fans of mine. And guess what? Thousands of them miss it. So um, we're back. We're back in a, in, a, in not in a good place, but in the normal place. So thank you, billions. Thank you, everybody involved. Um, it was a wonderful and surprising experience, and uh, I'm proud of the work I did. I, uh, you know, I was thinking about doing this episode. Like, actually, maybe I will. Inside the actor, guys, let's make this fun. Inside the actor's studio with Jean Louis Covin. You see that the host is Jean Louis, the actor is J L Covin. So keep it. J L. In 2020, you had a video go viral. Yes, thank you, Jean-Louis. Yes, I did. It was, uh, you know, it was a long time coming. I had been doing the Trump impression for a long time. And, um, you know, just just good luck, uh, bad luck with regard to the pandemic. It just, uh, it blew up like like nothing even close in my career. And uh, that, that changed a lot. No, JL. One of the fans admiring your impression videos on Twitter was a man named Brian Koppelman. Yes, yes, I am. I am very grateful uh, to to Brian Koppelman for um, uh, basically taking a chance on me. He asked his casting agent in 2021 uh, when the show was finally getting back to filming after um, COVID uh, disruptions. Uh, he had asked his casting agent to to uh, get me to audition for the part of Darren Rusikoff, a sort of internet day trading uh, lifestyle culture bro. And when I got the email, I thought to myself, "Well, this uh, this is probably fake. I why I didn't I, I I don't I'm not an actor, and I didn't audition for any like I didn't inquire. I I it's well known, Jean Louis, that I don't have uh, representation." <laughs> And, uh, so, you know, at first I thought it was a mistake, but then I, I, I replied and then I got some, some of the script, uh, that they wanted me to do a, a self tape audition and you did the self tape audition. And then what happened, JL? Well, Jean-Louis, what happened was I assumed I didn't get it. It was 10 days went by and I just thought, oh, well, you know, it, it was one of those few moments where I thought to myself in a positive way, and maybe it was easy for me to be positive because the net result was negative. So that was already built in. But I was like, well, it was nice to be considered. Somebody obviously thought enough of me to, to, to have me audition for the show. And then on the 11th day, um, 
I got an email saying congratulations and they offered me a, a nice paycheck for my what would end up being a two scene role. And, uh, you know, it was off to the races. Then we filmed in August, 2021. JL, what was that like? Well, it was, I mean, it was, everybody was really nice. It was kind of, you know, I, I, I don't mean to make excuses. I, I'm in no way making excuses for horrible male behavior in Hollywood, but I have to say just being on a set as sort of the focal point for, for five hours, uh, the amount of like cute women who just sort of had to escort me from spot to spot made me feel very important. Um, you know, I can, you have to really make sure that stuff doesn't get to your head, I think. Um, and I feel like I'm grounded enough in, in, uh, in, in, in my faith, Jean-Louis, as well as just in, in a, just in a, a respect for, for people around me. Um, so J.O., you filmed the scenes. Tell us about the experience of playing Darren Rusikoff. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it was, uh, it was challenging because um, I enjoy hamburgers and I had to do two different takes. Not two different takes, but two different scenes. And in one scene, I was eating uh, uh, hamburgers that were supposed to be hamburgers, meat-based hamburgers. And they were these delicious, very thick burgers from, um, from uh, a diner, a local diner, but they were, they were outstanding. And I felt very bad having to sort of spit them out each time because I tried to do a, my first take. I was like, oh, I'll be fine. I don't need the spit bucket. And I gagged on my first take and I thought, this isn't a porn shoot. <laughs> and so uh, I began using the spit bucket, which is a, you know, it's something very common in Hollywood, but it felt very demeaning to just keep spitting chunks of hamburger into a bucket that a, that a, that a young man was holding. Uh, but that's what you do for the art. So the first burger was a meat-based, and, and it was intended to be a meat-based. So I, I ate that, and I, I, I leaned on my training uh, from Joanna Bexon Studios, 2010 to 2011. Um, and I really leaned into my acting training there and was like, believe in this burger. You like this burger. And I ate the burger um, like I enjoyed it. And, and you know, I, I don't even know where the actor began and ends and and JL the person began and because I think I really did enjoy the hamburger but I might have been just so so in the moment that I was just saying I think this is a great hamburger I believe it I feel it it might have been a terrible hamburger that might have just been my 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 sort of intense acting training kicking in but the the goal I think it came across that I enjoyed the hamburger but then the next scene Jean-Louis yes the next scene it was supposed to be a plant-based burger. And yet the ones that were supplied to me were Shake Shack hamburgers and Jean-Louis very meat-based. Okay. There was, these were not anywhere near a plant-based. So what did you do then? Well, I just had to dig deeper and I had to tell myself, and it was a very sort of almost inception. If I can make that like a, like a Christopher Nolan inception moment, because I, had to think that these were plant-based burgers, but that I enjoyed them even more than a meat-based hamburger. So you're dealing with something. So now I'm I'm so wrapped up in the moment that I'm going, I I, I don't even know where I am, that this plant-based burger is delicious. And and once again, you you sometimes it doesn't matter, Jean-Louis, whether the whether it's the acting or you believe it, it's, 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 it can become so, you become so one with the character that as I was eating these meat-based hamburgers, I was saying, 
I believe that this is just a great plant-based burger. And I'm so shocked that a plant-based burger could be as good or even better than a Shake Shack burger. And I think that comes across in the performance. I think you see a real, um, if I can say this myself, um, a real authenticity and a real passion for hamburgers, whether they be meat or plant-based. So uh, I'm just I'm just glad people people liked it. JL, what's next for you? Uh, well, um, obviously, I, I would love it if the character were brought back for season seven. There's been no word on that whatsoever. It's I think people enjoyed it. Woo! Oh, thank you. Uh, I think people enjoyed it, and I think people would um, like to see the character back. But there's no guarantee on that. Um, so I'm going to talk to my uh, representation, who is actually here with me. Her name is Cookie, and she is a dog, um, because she has had as much success getting me um, uh, an agent and a manager as anyone else. Um, so we're going to take each day, uh, you know, uh, day by day. We've got a we've got a new special that we're recording, a stand up special in in May. Woo! Oh, thank you. And uh, so we're excited about that. And uh, it's actually a re-record because. Uh, 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 the main camera on the first one, um, had some technical issues. So it's, it's always great when you have the greatest set of your entire life and have to redo it. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's really what's in the works. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that the, some attention is garnered from, uh, the, from the work on billions and, um, uh, obviously that the standup special goes well. Um, and, uh, and we'll see. Uh, so I think that's, that's what's on the horizon for me next. J.L., if God exists, what would you like to hear him say? You're a series regular on season seven of Billions. <laughs> J.L., what is your favorite curse word? Can I make it a, a two-parter? Sure. Uh, I would say my favorite curse word just in terms of using it the most fucking cunt <laughs> oh, very good one jail very good well jail it has been my pleasure to have you on inside the actor's studio thank you for gifting us with your work on billions and i see that cookie is getting very frustrated right now she wants to get out of the studio so i think that is a good time to end so thank you very much jail covan thespian comedian misanthrope Hey, everybody, I'm back. Uh, was that fun? I hope it was fun. I hope it was fun. And you're also like, was JL really doing multiple characters and pretending to be a laughing and clapping studio audience all at the same time? The answer is yes. Um, so that was the experience of, of making the show. And um, it was uh, a great pleasure and, a, and an unexpected uh, honor and, and privilege and obviously a career highlight. I, like as I always say, Clearly, my career finds new ways to fail all the time, but this is a success, and it's a very nice highlight, and if that's it for me, I can always say, hey, I was on late night doing tell, you know, I've done, I've done the big bullet points, at least. I've done late night network, late night comedy. I've done major cable drama. And I have 790 listeners to a podcast. So I don't think that's really, that's what they consider the triple crown in entertainment. So uh, very proud of that. Um, do I have any reviews for you? But I was going to say uh, multiple fans um, contacted me uh, and were tweeting about me after my first scene 
on Billions, and I had two scenes. And the second scene is the much bigger, showier scene. And people were like, you were so great, so funny, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, did you stop watching? Because I have a much bigger scene. Um, and then people were missing my other scene. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. I don't know. And I've said this before, but I don't know how to actually cultivate a a, a critical mass of strong comedy fans of mine. You know, if it's like, please sign up for the newsletter now. Okay. So you don't know that, but then you find out I'm on billions from, from one of the, uh, one of the 19 ways I'm telling people, you finally find out, even if it's not too late and you go, Oh my God, you're on billions. And then you'll watch, you watch billions. And as soon as I show up, you just assume it's a rinky dink piece of shit. No, you know, two line performance and you miss my bigger scene. Um, so it's just a, it's a weird thing to just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cultivate. A, 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 and, and once again, this is an inside joke, guys, because if you're listening to Righteous PK, Righteous Prick Podcast has like anywhere between 20 and 30%. Actually, no, it has like between 10 and 20% of the listener listeners that Making Podcasts Great Again has. So you guys are the podcast listeners who, who like care about what the fuck I say. And like, so, so when I'm insulting my fans, it can't by definition, it can't mean you because you listen to this podcast. So welcome to the club. Welcome to the exclusive club. Let's all shit on everybody else. Who's a JL Covan fan who is not doing anything for me. Now guys, a quick break before we get to the second segment of this week's episode to discuss upcoming shows. Now I've got some great news and I want you to mark your calendars. If you're a fan of mine, April 26th, two days after I turned 43, which I consider the least cool age in all of ages. 43 just is, it's a, it's a bad jersey number, Troy Palomalu excused, but it's like, especially in basketball, it's not a good jersey number. It's 44 sounds cool, 42 is like at least just kind of cool, 43, and 45 is fine, 47 is even better, 49, you're on the cusp of 50, you're divided by, divisible by seven. 43 is like a nothing. Is 43 a prime number? Like there's something about very high prime numbers that are particularly disgusting. But the point is, it's two days after my 40, uh, 43rd birthday, so uh, if you're in upstate New York, I know upstate New York is very big, but if you're anywhere in southern, southern, southern Canada or northern, northern, northern New York, uh, Helium in Buffalo, they're giving me a warm up set. They're going to let me headline to basically run through my set because drum roll, please. I will be reshooting Half Blackface May 14th, Saturday, May 14th, 9.30 p.m., at the Triad Theater, we're returning to the scene of the Emmy and Grammy robbery crime when Half Blackface was recorded and ready to become a legendary special, and now we're reshooting it. Now, the good news about reshooting it is I can tighten it, I can trim it, and I can add one large bit that has been, pun intended, murdering uh, crowds around the country. And I mean that literally. From Chicago to, to, to LA and one state in between it's been, it's been slaughtering and it's uh, it, it fits perfectly with half blackface. And I only wrote it like three weeks ago. So it's, it's the, the, the silver lining to having to redo the greatest set of my life is that I think content wise, I can make it better. The key is, do I deliver? Do I deliver the better performance? The on paper, it's going to be an even tighter, better set, 
but will I deliver the performance? Now, uh, as you listen to this, the ticket link for Helium is on my website, and as is the ticket link for the uh, the, the reshoot. Um, so please, get tickets. Obviously, if you were at the first one, well, fuck it. Um, if, you, if you can stomach it again, it will be a tighter set, and you'll hear at least a couple new bits. Um, but obviously I would, I would just hope you could bring f fresh laughter. Like you've heard none of it, like re re without faking it, kind of recapture the magic of that, of that night in October. Um, but if you didn't make it for whatever reason, out of town, couldn't make it, blah, blah, blah. Then, then by all means, uh, this is kind of a big deal. It's, I think if you listen to this podcast, you know, all that hinges on this reshoot of Half Blackface is my life, my sanity, my soul. But beyond that, it's no big deal. So I hope you can make it. I hope you can spread the word. If you did come, if you have other friends who might make it or be in the city at that time or, or just couldn't make it that first time. I mean, I, I must have had promises by 300 people to make the show. And then we, you know, eked out 115. <laughs> so hopefully some of those IOUs get cashed in when I send out my newsletter next month see that back to the newsletter um but uh and after that i'm also in between trying to get gigs um on the east coast dc area and some others because um, i have my knee surgery on march 2nd and we are hoping that it only incapacitates me seriously for two weeks not the six weeks that is less likely but still possible um and then April and May leading up to it will be every, any and all gigs I can line up. I've, I'm looking into some D.C. area gigs, uh, some other West East Coast gigs, apologies, East Coast gigs. Um, but I will take anything and everything um, between, you know, Boston and uh, Florida, basically, before May 14th. So big, big, uh, big show. But May 14th, 9.30 p.m. It's a Saturday uh, at the Triad Theater. Info and ticket link is on my website now. So you can get tickets to that. Um, spread the word, please. Uh, and obviously, if you're, if you're some fan in upstate New York uh, and can make the Buffalo show on April 26th, the ticket link is also on my website and on Helium Buffalo's website. Uh, I, don't, I don't anticipate making a lot of money on that gig because that gig's purpose is really to get me to work out to have a, one, one of as many sets as possible to work out um, the, the refined half blackface set. So uh, those are the two big shows. And then as far as other shows, post-special taping, when I will, you know, reevaluate my life and what career I want to go in uh, and, and, and other things, I will be at, back at City Winery in Boston July 14th and 15th. So there's one show Thursday, two shows Friday. It's in their smaller room, but... Considering that's a Thursday, Friday, and not a Monday, I would hope I can sell out all three shows. You know, we sold 150 tickets on a Monday last year. I'm hoping Thursday, Friday, we have a capacity of, I believe, 240 tickets between the three shows. So it's 80 per show. So it obviously would be very cool and nice to be able to sell out all three of those um, or come close at least. The but ticket link is it will be available, I think, next month for that. But just mark your calendar if you're one of my many loyal, kind, fun Boston fans. Uh, July 14th and 15th. That's a Thursday and Friday. So those are the gigs coming up. Um, or the Diveshes, if you are a uh, if you remember callbacks from episodes several months ago. Uh, and now what else do I have anything to recommend? I didn't do a lot of reading this past week. Um, I don't know why. 
Oh, no, I did. Wait, I finished a book. What book did I finish? Um, well, I finished a book. Oh, I finished How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith. Uh, very nice, very good book, very critical race theory-ish. So look out, look out, folks. Let's ban it before it gets into our children's hands. Um, and now I am slowly making my way through Invisible Child. But so far, I'm, I'm enjoying the first 20 pages. Um, I think it's going to be very gut-wrenching and eye-opening and, and emotional, but I, I like it. Um, and then in far as content, guys, I'm two episodes. I've watched two episodes of The Peacemaker on HBO Max. I'm enjoying it. Um, I will say this. John Cena needs to tone it down in terms of the muscle because he almost seems like there's like something off, like he's too jacked. And what I mean is like obviously somebody like The Rock is very jacked, but The Rock is like 6'3" and very broad shouldered. And, and, and so it's like, he's able to fit more muscle on and just look kind of action hero-y, but not look warped. Whereas John Cena has like, it looks like narrower shoulders and is shorter than The Rock, but is like carrying more muscle than The Rock. So it's very like condensed and his arms look like, I don't even know if his arms are actually short. I think they're just so muscled up that his arms look, very weirdly short. Um, but he is a very funny, charismatic sort of, uh, I, I give him credit. He's, he's a very solid action comedy leading man. And two episodes in, I obviously started the show with wariness because I think most people are stupid. Um, but, and, and there was a sort of consensus about the peacemaker, which of course put me on notice. Like I'm, I view artistic consensus the way, pieces of shit view medical consensus with great skepticism and but two episodes in i i enjoyed it with with without uh without qualification so i'm looking forward to continuing uh uh the series um so that's good news that puts me um you know uh that puts me on on equal footing with with the average american streaming consumer um, I, I watched three episodes of the morning show season two. I thought season one was fine and had some good elements, but I was not, I didn't, I, I think, I don't know. I just, I sort of didn't buy it. I think it was good drama, but I still didn't actually think it was like a great show. It was just very high budget and had a lot of big names. And season three, I'm very tempted to just abandon season, uh, season two, excuse me. Not because it's like terrible, but I, you know, my, my new threshold for content, because there is so much, is do I give a shit? Like, do I give a shit about finding out? Like, like for instance, Raised by Wolves, which I talked about a couple of weeks ago. I just realized, I was like, oh, I'm watching this because there's a season two. But I'm like, will I even watch a season two? Do I care about this show at all? Like, I'm not enjoying it that much. I don't think it's bad. But there has to be a, either, do I really enjoy it? Is it really great? And do I give a shit? Like, are those, those are like three questions you got to ask, I think, about any show in this streaming platform time. And there's just too much. There's just way too much. So I'm going to, I'm going to lobby for us to abandon the morning show. Uh, no disrespect to the morning show, but it's just, I don't care. It's not even that I'm saying it's bad. I just kind of don't care. So, uh, sorry, morning show. Um, whereas like euphoria, even if I have criticisms, I kind of care. I want to see what's happening. I care about what's happening. I think it's well made, even if there are some flaws and, um, you know, 
uh, obsession with mid 20 year old people exposing genitalia meant to be teenage genitalia, you know, anyway. Um, so there's that. What else have I? So I, yeah, I started the peacemaker. I'm reading the invisible child and I'm a TV star. That's right. I forgot that part. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> um, boom, 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 boom. My mom turns 78 on Wednesday. That's a big deal. She is grumpy as fuck right now, but 78, it's pretty good. Um, what else? What else is there to discuss? I'm sorry for I, there was. I feel like there's something lingering that I meant to talk. Oh, I, and I did. I did watch four episodes of Abbott Elementary, um, which is you know I laugh when I watch the show because I go, oh, this feels like somebody made the perfect 2021 pitch to a TV studio. Remember the Office and Parks and Recreations? What if we made it with lots of people of color? And that's a winning formula. Like, so you're telling me you have a hit formula, but you're also going to um, lean into a sort of diverse casting that is all the rage as well. And I'm, I hope that I know that sounds cynical. I don't mean it like that. But I, I've been watching it and I like it. Um, uh, I know uh, if Rod and Karen are listening of the Black Eye Tips, Janelle James, uh, immer- burgeoning comedy superstar. Um, she's just been on, she's been on, she's been on the climb that I wish I could be on because, and this is not to denigrate anybody else's journey as a comedian, but I feel like I've been like, unlike me, I have these like sporadic moments of success, but I feel like I saw her like, boom, she got like a Netflix thing and then boom, she got like a, the Showtime thing. And then boom, she got another Netflix thing. And boom, now she's got like a huge role on Abbott Elementary. That's like what I want because I feel like that's like without knowing how long she's been doing comedy because I'm sure she's been at it a long time. And she's a very sort of respected comedian, which I, I like the best. I like, I like it when somebody has like kind of the, the real cred as a stand-up. But um, that's like the career path I wish I had because it feels like you're never you're never feeling certain or anything, but it feels like she's just – She's gotten almost like the path that somebody might have in a regular world. Like, oh, once I get a good thing and I prove myself at the good thing, the next good thing happens. Now, like once again, I could be totally wrong about her. I don't know her intimate details of her career and her path. But I'm saying from an outside observer, at least it looks like things have been building strongly and incrementally to now where she's, you know, now she's going to be a fucking big comedy star. And I'm like, that's the path I want because it just feels, it's a lot of hard work, but it feels like when you think you're onto something and then some good shit happens. Whereas I, I sit here going, I got billions. If, if past is prologue, I ain't getting shit for another four years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I'm still grateful for it. But the point, the reason I bring up Janelle James is the two things she, my, 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 the righteous girlfriend is, um, definitely laughing at her the most. And it, uh, you know, I respect it, but it also hurts. I wish, I wish she weren't laughing as much at the other stand up comedian. I wish she found one of the other actors funnier, but she, I think her favorite is Janelle James on Abbott elementary. And I think the kids on Abbott Elementary are particularly strong. They're not the focus of the show, but every time they just have a kid do like a line or a scene, it's like A plus kid acting. It's like it's like it's like Black School of Rock. Um and the older black woman teacher who I think is fantastic on Abbott Elementary, I was looking at her and I said, I'm not even gonna look up her name. 
that's the woman from the distinguished gentleman with Eddie Murphy 26 or 27 years ago. One of my, one of me and my uncle's, my late uncle's favorite movies, the distinguished gentleman. And, and for my money, I don't know if I enjoy an Eddie Murphy movie more than the distinguished gentleman. And I know that sounds crazy because everybody's like, not Beverly Hills cop, not the, not coming to America. The distinguished gentleman is a movie that I saw in the theater with my buddy, John, the aforementioned, uh, BFF. And every time I saw that movie again, I knew more about politics and government and laughed more. And I know it was not, it was not the kind of conventional Eddie Murphy role. It was a very funny comedy. He got to do some voices. He got, but everybody out there, here's your assignment. If you haven't seen the distinguished gentleman, it is an outstanding political comedy. And the woman who plays the older black teacher on Abbott elementary was in the distinguished gentleman. She was in like Eddie Murphy's kind of hustler crew that goes to Washington. And I said, I don't even have to look her up. I know that's her. And it was bothering me for two episodes. I was like, who is that woman? I have seen her in something. And you're like going for the voice, but 27 years, a different haircut. That's a, that's a tough pull, but, um, yeah, that, that's, that's her. So, uh, much respect to, uh, um, so I'm enjoying Abbott elementary. Um, uh, congrats to Janelle James, who I know doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, you've you've made a fan of of, of the Righteous Girlfriend, and uh, you've given me uh, 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 I can't say hope because I don't I don't see myself having the same path. I clearly don't, but it's good to see a real comedian get rewarded with with real material and then kill it. Um, that that makes me feel good because it feels like. It makes me feel like if I can't have justice for myself, it's good to know that there is justice somewhere in the comedy world, if that makes sense. I think that's a, that is as close as I'll get to positive, to be honest. Um, and, and in one of my ideas for a script, I actually have it ending, and I don't want to tell who I'm basing it on, but people who've known me for a long time and know or in comedy might know. But, but, but basically the idea of like you have a comic who's, who's straining to get something and all the while sort of too myopic to, to see other people's struggles. And then at the end doesn't get what he wanted, but his friend who's even older and a more veteran down and out comedian, but also very talented gets it. And it kind of wakes up the main character at the end of the movie or, or, or show kind of go, Oh no, you know what? That is a good thing. Sure. It didn't happen to me, but something good did happen to someone. And that, that sometimes is a victory in comedy, just to see someone with talent who's been doing it get something and succeed with it. Sometimes that's the best I think you can do in comedy. And maybe there's people looking at me going, JL got billions. That makes me feel like he's worked hard and got a good thing. No matter how fucking miserable he sounds on his podcast, I feel good for him because that it may not be a Netflix special in Abbott Elementary, but you know what? It's it's a big boost for him uh, that he deserves. So there. With that work, I kind of ended on a mildly positive note. But uh, I think that's all I have to recommend. That's all I'm sort of consuming right now. But yeah, I think I got to dump the morning show. Nothing personal, but just there's too much content and I don't, I just don't really care about the show, even though it's just so high budget. Sometimes you just want to watch something that's so high budget. Like, look at how high budget this is. Um, but yeah, that's it. So thank you to everybody who watched billions. Thank you to everybody who subscribes to my monthly newsletter. And thank you to you guys for listening to this podcast. Um, all 721 of you. 
but uh, whatever the numbers is, it always says I have like a le- between like a thousand and like twelve hundred listens each week for this show. So that's hey, that's all right. Problem is you're all separated into like five hundred and eighty cities, so I can never sell enough tickets in any one city. But you know where to find me, Buffalo, April twenty sixth, Triad Theater, May fourteenth, and City Winery in Boston, July fourteenth and fifteenth, with hopefully more dates and gigs. Uh, I finally made a call to the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. Quick recap, I headlined there in 2019, crushed it. The guy said, I want to have you back in 2020, and we'll give you a three-night a three night weekend instead of a two-night weekend so I can make a little more money. Then the pandemic hit. Then I got famous. Then I donated $500 to the club's GoFundMe, which I believe was tied with Gary Goldman for the second largest donation to the club after Patton Oswalt's 1000 Not that I did it for that reason, but I did take note of that. And I have not received a reply to an email from that club in, uh, I think, 18 months. Uh, which is weird and it's partly rude, but also partly weird. Um, I had communications with the owner who I was very grateful to. And I, maybe it's a cynical business. Maybe they don't realize that people can actually be grateful in the comedy business. But he was one of two club owners headlining me. The other one was Ken Reed, who had a club in St. Paul, Minnesota and in Houston and had to close the one in St. Paul due to a landlord issue and had to close the one in Houston due to the pandemic. And I remember I wrote a blog about Joke Joint in St. Paul and about Ken Reed and how he had said to me when I wrote an email to him thanking him for the opportunity to headline. He said, oh, I appreciate that. I would have thought more people would have written to me. And that made me very sad. There is a blog, and it might be in the, the jail's essential reader, but it was called If a Club, Clo- if a, if a club Closes in the Woods, Does a, Do Comedians Acknowledge It or something? And it was just one of those things that made me realize, oh, wow, the comedy world is really full of, on all sides, sort of ungrateful, socially inept people. Because for me, it was a no-brainer. Yes, I had nothing to gain. The man's clubs were closing. But the man had headlined me when no one else would. So I just felt like I'm very sorry to hear your business is closing. And I deeply appreciate the opportunities you gave me. It didn't seem like a kiss-ass thing. It just felt like the right thing to do. But apparently nobody else really felt that way. And considering that it was a club that was like sort of a C-level club. So it was comics like me pre-2020 that could get headlining gigs there. You'd think those would be the most grateful comics and the most remember, rem- you know, um, the, the comics most likely to remember and, and honor that opportunity. But it shows that everybody's an ambitious scumbag in comedy, and they'll they'll forget you uh, when they get the chance. But um, the other club to headline me was Ann Arbor, and so I remember the owner had some health issues, and I was I checked in on him not multiple times, and I'm saying this not not in a look at me, I'm a good person. But in a, in a way of like, yeah, so I thought I had fostered a real relationship with this club. I had done good comedy work, and I had also just sort of bit shown appreciation, which was genuine, for the guy. And, and uh, I, had to, I haven't gotten a call back. Uh, I've had no emails get returned. So it's a very, you know, because I, I actually do get a decent number of people in the Detroit area who are like, when are you coming to like either Mark Ridley's or Ann Arbor? And I'm like, uh, I've been to Ann Arbor. I did well. Then I got famous and donated money to the club. And apparently the combination of being able to sell more tickets and doing a nice thing was the kiss of death for me. It's a very, it's just very weird. I think you, you all can appreciate how weird that is, but that is exactly what has happened. So that's why I always feel like I can snatch failure from the jaws of success, but it's not always my fault. This is one of those cases where I'm like, I'm trying to come back to the Detroit area. I loved Ann Arbor. I think I may have said this either in a previous iteration of the podcast or in a re- probably in a recap blog. If you look up 2019, uh, May 2019, 
Uh, Ann Arbor. If I had visited Ann Arbor before I decided to go to Georgetown Law School, Michigan was the other like top 15 law school that I'd gotten into. If I had visited Michigan's Ann Arbor, I probably would have gone to Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor is fucking beautiful. I was there in the spring. I'm sure it sucks in the winter, but I was there in the spring. I had delicious food. I just really liked the humongous sort of college town. So like it's almost city size, but every, the ambiance is just of a mega sized college town. I really liked it. Um, so I'd love to go back to Ann Arbor. I'd love to go back to Magoobies in, in, in Timonium, Maryland. But these are clubs that like don't write back to me after I built years long relationships with them, which is just so fucking weird. Uh, but okay, I th should have ended it on the Abbott Elementary, uh, everyone can find uh, things to admire in other people's success story, but I had to go down this road. So the point is, guys, thank you for listening. If you haven't seen Billions this week, watch it. You can point at the screen and go, I know that guy. And uh, please, if you're in Buffalo or thereabouts, if you're in New York City or will be, or if you're in Boston, Mark your calendars for the last gigs and for Buffalo and New York. Please, please get tickets, tell your friends, etc. Ticket links are up on jlcovan.com slash calendar. Now I have to go walk the cookie bear and put all my tax paperwork together for my accountant, then record making podcasts great again, and then eat dinner, watch some content, and go to sleep, waking up to another day of legal work. Boo. But I hope you enjoyed Inside the uh, Actor Studio with Jean-Louis Covin. So thank you. Have a great week. Stay healthy. Hope to see you at some shows. And I will see you next Tuesday. Uh -huh.